Yeah, there's a ton of pigeons around. Gotcha. <laughs> Never bring pigeons to a Formula One race. Welcome to another episode of Rear of the Grid. As always, I am your host, Matt, joined as ever by Jashan. How are you today? What's the weather like down there? It's a bit, um, it's a bit fucking cold to be perfectly candid with you, Matt. Not a fan. Uh, Not a fan, but it's okay because I tell you what warms my heart, what warms my soul. Pigeons. That's fair. That's very fair. Bang. Um, Thought I forgot. Invasion has nope. begun. We got pigeon chat right at the head of the show. <laughs> yes. And on this week's show, Oscar Piastri, flares, and the nuances of broadcast journalism. <laughs> All that and more on this. A very spicy episode of Rear of the Grid. Here we are, back for another week, this time in review of the Dutch Grand Prix, and oh boy, what a... There's just too much to talk about, Jashan. Um, do they have the mercy rule in podcasts? Where we, we, can, uh, we, can, we can just end, end, so. end the show right now and stop the onslaught before it begins? I don't think they do, Matt. I think, in theory, they have the opposite, wherein when there is more stuff to talk about, we have to talk about more stuff. I'd like to, I'd like to petition that to change. <laughs> it's just, I can't handle how much drama there is. It's, it is too much. But um, shockingly, in the least shocking result of all time, Max Verstappen won again. But this time, it wasn't purely. Down to Ferrari, Ferraring themselves. Although there was still some of that, so don't you worry. <laughs> I don't even know where we should start. As what's the standout? I mean, maybe we'll just start with. Honestly, it is is um, where where do we? And we talked about this in previous weeks and that, but like, where are we quantifying this season by Max Verstappen? Even even with the caveat that his biggest rivals have shot themselves in the foot. Um, at every opportunity they've had, and then generally speaking, after shooting themselves in the foot, they've then shot themselves in the kneecap, the sternum, <laughs> the head. Um, he's just... Uh, so is, it, is this 10, 10 wins now for the season? We're still, what, like six or seven races remaining? Yeah, there's still seven races remaining, I think. Yep, seven races still remaining. He's won 10, which matches his total for last year. The all-time record for wins in a season is held by Vettel and Schumacher with 13. That, a piece? I just struggled uh, to... Like, that's the thing. Like Max winning four of the remaining seven races just doesn't sound very inconceivable. It almost sounds like no, expected. It just... I mean, Max winning seven of the seven remaining races sounds expected. <laughs> yeah. <I mean> <laughs> this is... The first time in his career that he's won four races in a row, it must be said. And he is the first driver other than Lewis Hamilton to do so. Since whom, Matthew? Can you guess? Can you, Sorry, can you, can you inform you repeat, me? repeat the question? 
So who was the last man to win four consecutive races on the trot other than Lewis Hamilton? Well, the only realistic options are Rosberg or Vettel. Mm. Um, so I don't think that Vettel... Well, sorry, Rosberg or Vettel. It's just which Vettel it is. Um, I don't think it was Ferrari Vettel, um, which means the question is, was it... Did Rosberg actually do that? Which I think he did. In equal machinery. But not not in his title season, I feel like. I feel like Rosberg started the year in ridiculous form one of the years that Hamilton won. So I'm going to say Rosberg. All right. You are correct, Nico Rosberg. Won seven races in a row in 2015-2016. Okay, so the end of his non-title season into his title season. Not half bad. Not half bad at all. It also... Well, yes, Zandvoort also marked Vax Verstappen moving into the top 10 all-time lap leaders list ahead of Nelson Piquet and Nicky Lauda. Red Bull led their 5,000th lap as a constructor in their history. At Zanvort, so really just racking up the uh, the records here are the Red Bulls, and it must be said, not necessarily done in the most con- or convincing fashion, as we've seen in recent weeks. There was a challenge here, mm. not from the Ferraris. No, not at all. Alas, it came from the Silver Bullet. Wait, no, they're Silver Arrows, aren't they? Silver arrows. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's an alas. Mercedes are not Van Kind of refreshing to um, see it be Mercedes that was giving them a challenge. I was almost, almost, heaven forbid, almost half rooting for Lewis Hamilton here. Oh, come on. Um, you weren't half, let's be honest, you is, weren't half rooting for Lewis Hamilton. You were definitely rooting for Lewis Hamilton. I was rooting for Lewis Hamilton. 100%. No, I was, I was, I was kind of, kind of really a little bit like, ooh, when Russell basically said, I am fucking pitting, give me tyres. <laughs> and Hamilton was still out, because I was like, if Hamilton can somehow slightly hinder Verstappen and George can sneak on by, George race win. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I was fully supporting Hamilton. It was just so I was kind of like, oh, I'd, I'd rather see Hamilton win than Max. But, you know, to be saying I was fully supporting Hamilton would have meant he was the one I most wanted to win the race, which is objectively not true. Fair enough. But in that in that moment, after all the the pits have happened with the sec war, there's a VSC well, no, in the first, after, and then in the moment after all the pits had, in the moment after all the pits had happened, and even before it, because Russell was only about three seconds behind Hamilton. Yeah, I was only out hope that Russell could find a kick of pace, and considering their respective their relative championship position, and the fact that Mercedes is in a race with itself for third, really. Yeah. Um, that they'd let them race and that Russell would get past Hamilton, Russell would win. So I would, no, I was still very much hoping Russell was. I was in for Russell. Um, and those fresh softies. But yeah, at least nice to see, yeah, Mercedes, Mercedes up there and it looking that it wasn't completely all Red Bull's way. Because, yeah, Mercedes went the alternate route. Uh, Red Bull and Ferrari started on the softs. Mercedes went the swerve and started on 
the mediums and the way that seemed to the cookie seemed to crumble a bit that was looking like a um pretty good way to go right up until uh it was, the vsc was sonoda right and yeah. then it was bodas who brought out the safety car yeah um yeah and, the, and, and yeah, the greatest until... cheating scandal of all time yuki sonoda obviously handing max verstappen the win on purpose yeah so we'll get we'll take it to it and then we'll get to that so basically sonoda made a pit stop i believe to come out onto i'm not sure what tyree came out on but he basically came out of the pit and was like oh something feels wrong here i feel like one of my wheels is loose or something uh it was he was able to come back around to the pit lane where they checked everything, they changed his tires and that, because they thought maybe it wasn't just loose wheels, so they put on a new set of tires, and all those things, get that out sorted, send him back out, and then he went back out, and it was like, it still, still feels, something still feels wrong, maybe it's like driveline or something, and then he had to stop the car. And he stopped literally right next to a Marshall post. He did the best thing he could to get it to only bring out a VSC and everything. And yeah, that would bring out a VSC, which would then mean that Max could stop within inside a time frame that, yeah, the transition time for the VSC. I've seen some ways... Maybe uh, VSC is probably the more advantageous thing for Red Bull than a safety car because if the Mercedes choose not to stop under that safety car to get the track position, um, you can travel faster, I believe, under a safety car than you can under the VSC, I think. Um, but before you actually catch up to the queue, so it's possible that you lose a little bit more time. I'm not 100%. On that, but yes, I brought out VSC. The Mercedes pitted as well because, well, why not? They weren't going to be in front of Max, and they had enough gap back to the Ferraris, so they may as well. And then a few laps after that, Valtteri Bottas would have—I can't even remember what his incident was—but Valtteri Bottas would also stop out on track, which would bring out a safety car, whereby Max did Max pit again. Yeah, Max pitted again. Give it again. Handing the lead to Lewis, but taking the gamble that he'd be able to get back past on fresh soft. Well, so yeah, which let, which let both both Mercedes buy. Neither Mercedes chose to come in, which was interesting because again, um, Max pitting for the softs. You you may as well. I think there's a compelling case there that if you're out in the mediums and he's on fresh softs, with the pace he's showing, like even with both your cars in front of him, he's just going to clean them both up and win the race. So you may as well pit both your guys for softs and hope for the best. Then a lap later, with enough time that he could make a free pit stop still, George, yeah, just made the strategy call of, I want to box, I want to put on softs because the mediums are going to do nothing against Max. Yep. Which he, and they let him do it, and that obviously left Hamilton completely out of unruh, still out there with Max right behind him. Um. Yeah, Hamilton... I lost his bottle a bit at the team, which I can understand because he's seen a race win fall apart. I don't think there's any real need to share that. Uh, he apologised for what he, he said. Wasn't, and for those who he didn't wasn't see out it, of line. That's no... Yeah. He blew up on the radio and so said, I am so fucking pissed right now. You guys screwed me, which is a little bit on the harsh side. <laughs> can you imagine if Leclerc no... said something like that every single time Ferrari bottled him? Oh yeah, but like it's it's no different to what a lot of drivers 
So you're saying that. I I wasn't I wasn't remotely bothered by Lewis having those emotions. I'd be frustrated too, but yeah. it was like well, you know, it wasn't really the team's thing. Because I I don't think it changed the outcome. I think Russell just made the call that gave him and the team the best chance of winning a race. And Hamilton, I I think it's a little bit on Hamilton. I think at times Hamilton, I'm not sure that, but at times Hamilton is too reliant on trusting of the team to make the strategy call for him. He doesn't show. A bit like Leclerc, we've said before, signs mm. signs shows the initiative when the team's like, do this, and signs is like, no, I think that's dumb. I'm going to not, or I'd rather do this. We're doing this. And we've said Leclerc maybe lacks a bit of that initiative that when the team's like, box now or something, which is actually a bad idea, he's like, nah, fam. He just does it. Um, and that's what it was this. Russell was the one who was like, no, nah, I think, Softs is the best thing for me to be on. I'm I'm coming in for softs unless you guys, you know, blatantly go, no, we're not letting you do that. And the team didn't because it would have been dumb. Yeah. And so Russell, this wasn't the team that fucked Hamilton because it wasn't like the team went, oh, we're leaving you out, Lewis. And then, oh, we'll take George in to split it. It was George's call. So Hamilton fucked himself by not having the initiative to make that call as well. That's very fair. That's very, very fair. Yeah, and it's not... It wasn't... A terrible decision, I don't think, on the Mercedes part. It just wasn't... You know, it's not like when they forced Leclerc to come in for the wrong tyres in um, oh, Belgium. It's not like that yeah. level of blunder. It's just they didn't hop on to the, the becoming thing of, yeah, okay, it's time for softs. Whereas Red Bull, as... Have has as has been the case all season. We're like, yeah, let's do it. We're making it happen because their strategy is impeccable, and they just don't make mistakes right now at all. Yeah, the team is a well-oiled machine, Matthew. I mean, from everything it, from from giving is, the team orders um, to Yuki to stop on track, perfectly done, perfectly stop, timed. Stop trying to stop trying to inside. <laughs> Fucking, you're not getting a job for Sky Sports, man, so you can shut the I've got to, I've got to try something. God. Is that how desperate you are to get off this podcast? Are you just going to try and get an in at Sky Sports? No, 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 no. I'm not desperate. I, I love the podcast. It's, I'm just, I'm just having a bit of a down <laughs> you, week. You just love a job at Sky Sports even more. I'm just having a down week. That's all. Man just, man just wants to be able to, like, suck Martin Brundle's dick, which is fair enough. Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't we all... <laughs> Man. No, I'm more of a fan of Alex. That's yeah, fair. Um, the one thing I will say on this whole Mercedes thing is I do think, whilst I get your point about you know their decision on the call and that, but I think it's a little bit. I think if oh, to anyone with sense, I think the writing was on the wall. Once the VSC had happened, okay, you're not going to win. The, there was a chance when they were still going to come out, you know maybe 10 seconds up the road from Max with both cars ahead of him, and it is a difficult track to overtake on, so if they could at least force George to take a couple of laps to get by, but, you know, keep Max behind it for a couple of laps and take some stuff out of the tyres and that, if they got to the point where Hamilton only had to hold on in front of Max for four or five laps, maybe he could have got it done. Mm Mm-hmm. But once the VSC meant that Max was back out in front of them and they were all back under the same tyres and strategies and that... I think the writing's on the wall there. Um, well, in, that you're no longer you're no longer racing for the win. Even if they'd left both cars out on that safety car, so that Max restarted third, I just don't think you're. 
I just I don't think the odds of you winning that match. This is still going on. Odds of winning the match. I just don't. Yes, yeah, I don't think the odds of you winning this race are above like 15, 20%. So to me, that's just not. Why not just accept that, yeah, okay, Max is going to come back past us and that. Jump onto the tire. Because if, if they put them both on the softs, they finish second and third. They get their fourth double podium of the year, which would draw them level with Ferrari. Insane. Um. It is actually ridiculous. I've, I've got it here. I took a screenshot. Um, or I saved a pick or something. But the podiums. Lando's still the only man to have finished on a podium from outside of the big three teams. Yeah. But Mercedes has finished on the podium in all but four races this season. Saudi Arabia, Miami, Monaco, and Belgium are the only weekends Mercedes hasn't been on the podium. Sorry. They've had two double podiums this season. Ferrari have had three. So this could oh, have yeah. been their third double podium to draw level with Ferrari. Red Bull's only had four. They've, they've been they so consistent. I think... So, so consistent. I mean, Hamilton hasn't finished lower than fourth, barring the retirement in, in Belgium since his eighth place in Monaco. When we were yeah. still talking about, oh, is, is Hamilton washed? Is he done? No, he's not done. Yeah. He's been pretty So for me, though. for me, I think they've really um, fucked it a bit here. I, th- I do think there's a poor that. Uh, Hamilton was obviously doing because he felt they'd fucked him out of the win. I don't think they fucked him out of the win. They fucked him out of the podium, though. Absolutely. They should have just pitted him for softs like they did for, uh, for Leclerc, for Russell. Well, they got, didn't. Got their Russell, second Russell insisted that he come. Well, I know, but they. I think Mercedes should be astute enough to just make that call. <laughs> that's quite. That's quite. And cool, not though. not to be thinking because I think I think they were probably wanting to leave Russell out there because they were like, "Oh, this will be our best chance to try and win the race." And then Russell's gone. No, I want softs, and they've gone. All right. Well, we're not going to argue with him. Yeah. Um. Just just pick them both. Pick them both. Put them on softs. Let them come second and third. Who knows? Maybe something goes wrong for Max, and then you are. Looking at first and second, is there a um, world though if if Bottas doesn't stop in the pit lane because of a broken engine that Hamilton gets this done? Because in between the Sonoda incident and the Bottas incident, Hamilton had gained five seconds on on Max Verstappen because they pitted Max for 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 Hart, whereas Lewis and and George both still had mediums at that point. And then that's when um, they all came in again after the Bottas safety card to get uh, softs for Max, softs for George. Um, Hamilton maybe stuck to I'd struggle to. Uh, my thing there would be I'd struggle to believe that possibly this wasn't just uh, Max just managing things. But also the flip side, the biggest thing here. Ooh, block punt. We love to see that. Oh my god, we're going to score a touchdown. Please score the touchdown. Get there. Get there. Knocked out of the five. That's annoying. Um, I think the ish- biggest issue there is, was Hamilton going to close to Verstappen? Quite possibly. But is he actually capable of getting by Hamilton? Unless you think that the tyre difference in closing up would be enough that he'd be able to force Verstappen into a mistake or genuinely get by in any of the spots around the lap on Zandvoort where it's notoriously hard to overtake and force a move through one of those corners. Realistically, the big opportunity is into turn one at the end of the main straight. Yeah. I don't care if Hamilton's within two tenths. If he opens that rear wing, he's probably still slower than Max. The Red Bull's that much faster in a straight line. That's very fair. 
how how's he gonna get by? <laughs> and Matt doesn't look like making a mistake at the moment either. Yeah, so obviously this Sonoda thing and that he had the issue, he came in, they sent him back out, he stopped on track, and this set F1 Twitter. I think very much particularly as well, um, it should be said, it is anglicized Western F1 Twitter. Um, it's important to remember that's the thing. And so for me, as a as an English speaking person who is not British, Can't um, my my experience of F1 Twitter, F1 Twitter at times drives me fucking insane. Because shockingly, of the three, I think of the big English speaking nations, you've got the UK, USA, ourselves, and that's probably New Zealand. And then you've got a, a smattering of country, or Canada, and then you've probably got, you know, a smattering of countries where it's probably like, you know, a, a more even split and that, you know, plenty of English speaking in South Africa, but there's also a lot of natives who would speak Afrikaans, so on and so forth. Obviously, the most F1 oriented of all of that is the UK. That's where the biggest portion of English speaking Twitter is and that. There's obviously huge sections of F1 Twitter. You've got all, you know, the Dutch, Dutch Twitter happens in Dutch. Mm-hmm. All the Latin American countries, uh, you know, in Spanish and things like that. But obviously, that's the thing. The big part of English-speaking Twitter is British, so they're obviously very pro the British drivers, and Max is that. So, but yeah, Twitter seemed to be a light with so many people being like, oh, "I can't believe Red Bull have actually done this. They've ordered a driver from their second team to just stop on track to ensure Max can get a home win in that." It was to the point where I believe I don't remember hearing on the broadcast uh, whether that, but uh, it might have been the post-race stuff or something. It was said, but apparently Ted Kravitz insinuated that that's what it was—that like Red Bull, <laughs> AlphaTauri had sent Sonoda back out so he could stop on track to bring out a VSC to ensure that Max was able to beat the Mercedes. Which, so, I don't know, obviously we'll get your thoughts on this. So two parts, two parts to this. There's the Ted Kravitz bit, if that is true, and I don't know whether you've done a bit more research and actually seen anything, because I think I didn't, I wasn't, I don't stick around to watch the post-race shows, so I didn't hear or see the comments. Mm. Um, if that's the case, incredibly unprofessional. Um, I'm total. I'm someone. I'm totally okay with a bit of bias in commentary, but it's also we'll we'll talk about to that um, bias in commentary and how that goes to that. But then also, yeah. The second part of this is just like F1 Twitter, the wider F1 community, and how much that. And it's like it's been to the point where AlphaTauri have released a statement. Because obviously yeah. there's been that much vitriol sent theirs and Yuki's way that they've felt the need to address the comment. So I don't know. Just what's your what's your two cents? Well, I think Ted Kravitz is a clown. Uh, have done for a while. I think his commentary is often less than insightful and more just a hindrance on the actual broadcast itself. And earlier in the weekend, him and him and David Croft had a like a minute long just random argument on the air. That was weird. I don't know if you saw this, yeah. It was strange. I did, I did. I I wasn't able to listen to it all because that just felt so cringe. It was so crazy. cringe. It was just ridiculous. I mean just it's just just boomers talking about uninteresting stuff. Real yeah. real Shane Warne on the cricket commentary vibes from like the early twenty tens, you know? 
But the difference, the difference is, Warney would at least do that, would do that, but at least Warney would redeem himself because then every now and again, Shane Warne would take a take a brief break from talking about his favourite flavour of meat pie, <laughs> and he'd give you some ridiculous in-depth analysis on the best way to get like a cricket ball to turn or something that only Shane Warne could tell you, and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you do know what you're talking about. You're just a bit of a knob most of the time. Crofty offers nothing to the broadcast. That's why I, I tolerate Brundle. Well, Crofty is the Brundle will say a lot of stuff, play, right? Like he's not the expert. Oh yeah, he's but just there, he, he's there to be a caller. The play, there are play by play. I, I can name so many. I, I get that he's not meant to be. I don't want him to do expert analysis. Hmm. But I just I know so. I can think of so so many play by play commentators across so many other forms of motorsport other sports in general that just offer so much more insight broadcast. Yeah. And all of them. I mean, Nico Rosberg plays this role where he is one of the very few non-British members of that broadcast team. It'd be nice to get Mark Webber on some more broadcasts, something like that. Well, Mark Webber, Mark Webber's on the free-to-air. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, there you go. But yeah, Ted Kravitz, he's on he, he provides. ITV4 or whatever it is, Channel 4's broadcast. Absolutely nothing for me. And in terms of the actual incident, what happened is Sunoda, they pitted him for fresh hards, lap... Oh, he stopped on lap 44. Yeah. He called back to his, he called back to his team. He said, I think that the tyres have been improperly fitted. There's something loose or whatever, something feels off, so he stops, like you mentioned earlier, right next to a safety marshal. They bring him back in. Actually, no, no, no. Sorry. They they bring him back in for a pit after he makes that radio call. Then he goes back out again, and instantly they report a car failure, which is when he stops on track, ending his race. Uh, AlphaTauri have put that under investigation. We don't know what the actual issue was yet. Sonoda was quoted as saying it might have been a differential issue, is what he thinks. The idea that a guy and a team like AlphaTauri, who was scrapping for points, would ever, I guess, put their own race in jeopardy like that is ridiculous. Sonoda has now gone nine straight races without scoring which is the longest run of any driver barring Gotifi. So, yeah, no. I mean, this is this is a man with his F1 career on the line. Exactly, exactly. Especially... Colton Herter's around the door, if, baby. If we, if we get to this soon, if Colt, the Colton Herter thing falls through and Gasly stays at AlphaTauri, is there a possibility that they'll go, okay, well, Sonoda's not been that great. We know we've got someone who'll be able to bring home cut points if this car's any good. So we're going to replace Sonoda with a rookie. Yep. Um, so this is a man who's fighting for his career. So why the hell would he agree to that? If he thought the car could still possibly go and there was some slim chance of him fighting back for some points or at least fighting back and showing some impressiveness. Yeah, why would he do that? He wouldn't. Not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Ridiculous insinuation. It's media bias and... at its lowest. Sir. Media bias of the fan it's 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 the problem with that. And like every fan base can be a bit like that, but it's just yeah, like the British fans and I'm all for being pro your athletes, and maybe some of it is said in jest and that, and it's always hard to tell that online. Because like me, me as a you know me, I'm a very um sportingly patriotic person. Like Oh yeah. Any 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 sport that is sort of deemed as like an international representation, so international sporting sides or something like the Olympics where it is sort of about 
you know, a certain level of like national glory and stuff like that. Or sports where Australia has traditionally not got insane levels of dominance, a la tennis on the men's side of things. Um, golf, motor, like F1 and that. We've only really had the... It's been a long time since we've had a world champion and Alan Jones and that. Basically, if anyone comes along who's got an Aussie flag, I'm straight there for them. The exception is is cycling, where I like a lot of Australian cyclists, but most of my favourite cyclists aren't Australian because my yeah my love of cycling goes beyond that i'm like i just like the guys i like um but anything like that i'm very pro australian and you know me i will i will make joke like i will make you know jokes but i try and make it very obvious that i'm like oh no mate that guy obviously obviously should be you know like okay on the weekend i um went to the matilda's friendly against canada with um our old housemate Ben. Hell yeah. And every time every time a Canadian player went down or whatever, or like an Australian player was fouled, I'm there like, oh fucking she's been doing it all day. Send her off, ref, send her off. Unbelievable. The Canadian players die and but you know, I'm obviously A, I'm only saying it to my mate and that. and B I'm you know, that's the thing, I'm doing that, I'm taking it. Obviously I'm piss taking there and that. But it's hard to judge that on Twitter and that. But I also think a lot of the time they're not. These people are generally like, oh, no, fucking Red Bull must be fucking cheating. It's the only way they can be beating my boy Lewis. Lewis is and it's just like... As just, if they need to, by the way. You They've make... The constructors you make all but everyone, wrapped up and Max is sorted You make everyone... Drivers. That's the thing. You make everyone else look so bad. You ruin it for... And it's because I think, realistically, you take the cross-section of fans that actually comment and make Twitter posts and that... Probably represents like five percent of the total fan base and things like that. And it's it's, it's the vocal mi- it's the it's, it's the classic thing. It's the vocal minority ruining it for the rest because the the people that you see and that give you the eye and it's the same thing. Like I'm sure you know. Obviously, I like to poke fun at it, but I imagine I imagine the vast majority of Collingwood Magpies fans pretty reasonable things. Oh. I mean, I know three Collingwood. I know. Four Collingwood fans, and three of them really great people, and you're probably one of the worst people I've ever met. But, you know, <laughs> you're the outlier there. But it's the vocal... That's the thing. Collingwood fans have a bit of a reputation, I think. But it's because the ones you actually see are the ones acting like... You don't see the fans who are just there and reasonable and just enjoying the sport. But, you know, if a, if a, fan, if a certain fan base has a vocal minority that get about and chat all this stuff... The whole fan base gets labelled as, oh, well, this is one of the worst fan bases. They're all cunts. Fuck oath. And it's like, just just stop ruining it for the rest of us. Fuck oath. That's why you got to stay off Twitter, kids. It is a toxic cesspool of It really simping. is. But then there's such, there's such, there's such use of people. There's people on Twitter have such interesting ideas as well. It's so frustrating. Just simpy soy boys all over Twitter like our friend Matthew here. A simping soy boy. You're a manlet, Matt. I mean, just because I'm I'm pro basic rights for like marginalized groups, I don't think that makes me a sin. Based. Why is every single member of Georgia's offensive, not George, Georgia Tech's offensive line, have knee braces? Goated. Like, is that something? Is that something I'm just not aware of? Where there's a lot, an extra level of stress through an offensive lineman's knee, fair nah. enough, or just uh, somehow their entire offensive line have all just come back from double ACL <laughs> surgery? No. Nah. Absolute cap. There's no way that they could all have knee braces. That's cap. Cap. Um, 
Now, I do want to quickly circle back to it because I think we're making pretty good time and I think really we've probably just got to talk Ferrari and a couple of other things in terms of the race itself. Um, I saw, no, you may have an opinion on this, you may not. Bias in um, television broadcast journalism and that. Where do you fall? Pati, I'm talking like international sports and things like that. So like Olympic broadcasts and things like that, broadcasts of something like the Tour de France. Where where do you fall on things? Because for me, my thing is like obviously I get because we all I don't know what you think, but I feel like a large all we all love it when it's something like the Olympics, yeah, or you know like a Tour de France stage or things like that. And after a really cool victory from some person from an inter like a one of the you know non English parts of the world or whatever, like a French person wins you know the fifteen hundred meters or something in athletics and that, and then a day or two later the French broadcast emerges of the French commentators absolutely fucking losing their shit as their French athlete wins. And we're all like, how great is yes. this? I think that's where and it belongs. I, and I, but that's the thing. I think, it, what, what, what do you mean? Like, what, term, do, what do you mean? Okay, if we're talking like an international event, like you say, the Tour de France, the Olympics, the World Cup. F1 is an international yeah, event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it Let counts me finish just the point, same way. Bud. Yep. yep. Where, yeah. you know, you have multiple broadcasts all over the world with different commentary teams who are applying their trades, okay. following you, their own country. I think you're going to the same thoughts as me. I, 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 I love that. I think that, that makes sense. That is totally reasonable. Sure. When it comes to a league or a competition where there is one primary broadcast that is supposed to be kind of the the be-all and end-all of commentary over that sport, then they should be... They should leave bias out the window completely, ideally, and just and just be a broadcast well, team. Think, yeah. But at, at least just try and remove it as much as possible. And and they don't they don't do it in F one. It's all very British. And that's look, it is what it is. I always used to cringe growing up that... watching like EPL and you can just tell the commentator is just a Manchester United fan. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like leave that for Man U T V, surely. The main broadcast should yeah, be Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some nuances in that. I don't mind if you have... But that's it, because I, I, I largely agree with you. I think that's the big thing. It comes down to whether you are on the international feed, like the global feed, yeah. or the domestic broadcast. So, like, if the fucking people, um, if the British commentators on the Channel 4, you know, free-to-air coverage of F1, which is only some races in full, and then I think it's highlights of most of that. If they're rampantly Hamilton and Russell bias, that's fair enough. Because to my knowledge, the only people that the Channel 4 broadcast gets televised to is within the Brits. I don't mind if come the one full free-to-air Channel 10 coverage or whatever of Formula 1 once a year at the Australian Grand Prix... Um, I can't even remember whether they still have the Channel 10 commentators fully commentate that race or they just go to the Sky commentators for the race. But let's say they do. I don't mind if we've got Matt White there being just ridiculously pro-Daniel Ricciardo. It's the Australian <laughs> broadcast. Same with that. Obviously, the Dutch are going to be pro-Verstappen. It's the Dutch broadcast. But the Dutch broadcast is going out to the Netherlands, where the vast majority of people want Verstappen yeah. to win. The Spanish broadcast, the vast majority of people are going to want Sainz or Alonso to win. So on and so forth. And that's the same with all the different domestic broadcasts of the Tour de France in their native languages, the Olympics and things like that. And that's the thing, because I know I've saw another friend of mine in that. Finn, Finn oh, prefers to watch yes. um, 
Finn prefers to watch the global feed for the Olympics because it has unbiased commentary. Because for him, he's so ingrained in swimming and things like that. He's not just wanting all the Australians to win necessarily. He's got lots of other swimmers. He just thinks it's great. Mm-hmm. So he just wants that balanced feed and that he finds that the you know seven Olympic broadcasts is very Australian biased, which it is. Which, for some events, I fucking love. Because I kind of... It gets me really in the emotion if we've got, you know, our broadcaster or whatever getting really fucking fired up as the Aussie athlete brings it home or whatever. Um, for events where Australia is not particularly prolific, I often will then choose the global feed because they've generally just got better knowledge of the sport. They'll give me a better insight. Fuck um, off. So, so I'll watch as they should be, because it's, it's the, it's the but, global standard. And that, it should that's, be the that's highest my point. point. Olympi- the Olympics... The Olympics, like if you watch the Olympics through the official like the Olympics site, or like if you watch the Olympics on the Seven Network and that, you can watch it on like the way they work the work and that. They'd obviously have the feeds online of the Channel Seven and the Seven Mate or Seven Two feed, which is the televised official televised broadcast where they'll jump between the different sports and different different Australian commentary teams. But you could also just watch it by sport. You could just watch the twenty four seven athletics broadcast, and if you did that. The audio feed you'd get was the global Olympics athletics feed, which would have you know an American and a Brit, yeah, and they were completely unbiased. Maybe they'd have a little bit of I'd love to see the American guy get it. I don't mind if you say that. You're allowed to have your favourites. You're allowed to you know I don't mind. I don't mind if halfway through the broadcast Martin Brundle goes. I'd really, I'd really love to see George get his first win right here. You know, I love George. I love the kid. I'd really love to see him yeah. get his win. In the same way, I wouldn't mind if he goes, I'd really love to see Yuki Sonoda score points here. It's when, yeah, you're so pro, like, almost, yeah, it seems like you want Verstappen to have something go wrong. You just want the British to come out on top every time. And it's like, that's, that's not acceptable if you are the global feed, which is what Sky Sports is. Sky Sports, I believe, does basically the FOM feed that goes to all the English... Well, sorry, not all the English people, but I think a lot of the English, the global English speaking. I assume we get it. Obviously, we get it and that. It's Britain. I believe it's a few other largely English-speaking things. Like, that's the English-speaking broadcast. I believe America, NBC does its own one, I think. But, yeah, it goes out to a lot of people. It's the main English-speaking feed, to my knowledge is the Sky Sports yeah. feed. They shouldn't so you're not be just broadcasting into, that's you know, rampant you're speculation not just broadca- yeah. Yeah, about just ridiculous You're not just shit. broadcasting to the Brits, so you've got to show a level of restraint because you are, that's the thing, you're representing, like, it's the thing, if I, if I tuned in to the Tour de France world feed and the Brit or whatever who was commentating was constantly just like, I want Bradley Wiggins to win, I want Chris Froome to win, yeah, the Team Sky Riders... And any time anyone from a foreign nation so much as sneezed, he was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. I had a really strong ride today and just, it just seems a bit suspicious. It seems a bit too good to be true. Yeah. But when, when a Brit one, he's like, oh, fucking what a rider. So basically every time it's insinuate that the foreign are doped and the British athlete's super clean in that. If that's on the, that's the thing, if you're the, if that was my global Tour de France feed, I'd be like, why is my guy who I know that this audio is going out to every English speaking country? If you pick English as the language you want to listen in, this is what you're hearing. Why is that? And that's that's my big thing. And that's and I yeah. So I think we both agree on that. It's just Sky is not just the British feed here. So you've got to show some restraint because you're representing the global English speaking audience. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And it's just it's it's frustrating because I think it drives both of us insane. I'm a bit over that thing, and it, you know, yeah, it's it's annoying the pro. 
And that's and obviously that's the thing. Obviously, I'm you know, I was sick of Hamilton, so pro Hamilton bias extra annoys me. But it's like I don't. I've I've been understand a little bit of pro George bias and that. And you know, oh, fucking George is a toss well. up for my favorite driver with. Yeah, George is a toss up for my favorite driver with Carlos. But it still annoys me how, how you know, yeah, pro Mercedes, pro George. It yeah. is in, um. Yeah, the broadcast and that because I'm and like, you know what? They'll they'll be pro Ollie Caldwell when he obviously makes the jump to F1 because he's an F1 ready. Talent. I'm I'm someone I generally put a bit of a bit of nuance into who I'm going for. I have my favorite people who week in week out will be one of the people I want to see perform well. But often week to week, I'll have one or two people who just that specific week I'd love to see win because of the narrative or the circumstances and stuff like that. So yeah frustrating to say the least and yeah i thought it was a pretty unprofessional weekend in the box for sky between um yeah that weird weirdness in the practice session between crofty and ted Ted made those comments post race and that and again just quickly before we move on a direct comparison to this alex jacques is british do you do you get a particular sense when you're watching f2 that alex jacques is rampantly pro ollie caldwell and jake hughes <laughs> no or that he was rampantly pro dan tictum i don't think anyone is rampantly pro dan tictum mate uh callum Bylot, he wasn't rampantly but that's the thing and like brundle that's the thing no alex jacques yeah, is Brun- a good Brun- awesome thing. bloke well-rounded he is jacques and brundle are the epitome of maybe that's a slight difference because i believe they are like official from broadcasters whereas i think it's more just sky sports goes out i don't know whether there is a true official bomb feed for f1 um but yeah it's just a bit weird i don't know i'd much prefer jacques and brundle jr or jacques and brundle senior i just prefer jacques to crofty at this point it's the main mover the main um, mover and shaker for maddie hume yeah, get rid of get rid of Ted or keep him keep him to Ted's notebook and just have it very clear that Ted's notebook is just entirely Ted's thoughts on things. And <laughs> that's fine. Ted's Ted's allowed to have an opinion. That's a thing. I'm not going to sit here and be. I can. I'll sit here and say that um Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith are fucking clowns, but I'm not going to be like, oh, they're fucking unprofessional. They just their job is to have an opinion and to make it as ridiculous as possible because it draws eyeballs. Yes. But Ted's in Ted's in theory. Ted's not a um like a commentator in the um trying to think what the word I want is like he's not a commentator or like an a, a opinionist or whatever in the way that like a skipper or a thing. He's meant to be an impartial commentator, expert analyst, journalist. Yeah. So. And he's not. Mm. No, Kravitz is a clown. Um, I, think, I think, honestly, a large portion of that broadcast team, like Karun Chandok has the charisma of a pumpkin. Um, What do we got? He likes charisma, but I wouldn't call Chandok biased. I wouldn't no, no, I'm not old. saying that. I'm he's just, just, I'm just he's running just through my criticisms of the broadcast team in general. Like, I, I'm not super anti-Crofty in the way that you are, but he, he does lack a certain oh, bit of he, he expertise. Paul DeResta is pretty... Paul DeResta is okay. Who's the other one? Commentators who get unnecessarily excited. I'm all for commentators getting excited in the right, but I feel common some, there's common some commentators, and I've got one, obviously I'm not going to reference that, but there's a commentator, there's a psych, uh, major prominent cycling commentator I'm thinking of who does the same thing. I think he just gets excited in the most pointless moments, and so you've got him being so crazy excited for something, and then his fellow broadcaster partners are still almost monotone because <laughs> it's not that crazy what's popping off. 
And it takes away from the actual moment. They're riding a bike. Wow! Like, yeah, if you you want to be stupid about it, (laughs) sure. But it's like, you you don't need to get excited for some of the moments that I think Crofty tries to build up as being absolutely crazy. Save it for when you're actually seeing a genuinely crazy duel or, you know... Verstappen Hamilton, final lap in Abu Dhabi or something. That's where you need the, okay, let's get over the top here because this is genuinely a defining moment of, if not just the season, like the decade, a generation. To be um, fair, and, and in so those yeah. moments, he does do a pretty solid job of building up the hype. Like, Oh, no, that, that's not my... I'm not saying... But that's my point. I'm, I'm more saying he... But he gets that excited, I think, too often, which makes the actual exciting moments less impactful because it doesn't feel as special mm-hmm. because Crofty's already got that excited four times this race over Yuki Sonoda passing someone at 17. Yep. But, yeah, uh, back to my point before I was so yes. rudely interrupted. <clears throat> Paul DeResta, I think he's solid. I think he, he gets the job done. He's, he's got a bit of bit of fun about him as well. I think Anthony Davidson is uh, probably the most boring man on the planet. He does nothing for me at whatsoever. Um, all the, the host, what's his name? Simon Lazenby, I think. Yep, the guy who hosts, you know, the, often those pre-race kind of segments when they're all sitting on the little, the little benches and having chats. He's arguably the most boring of the bunch. It's not a great broadcast team in general. Like, Jensen Button's good fun. Again, I think Paul, I think Duresta's pretty solid. I mean, at this point, Karun Chanduk's probably my favourite part. Oh, Nico Rosberg is funny, even though he's kind of just repeating the same shit over and over. He's got no charisma either. Yeah, exactly. He does genuinely offer... At least some insight. um, Yes. Overall, it's pretty underwhelming. I think Brundle is the highlight. One week, one week he'll just be seeming to bury Lewis. Yes. Um, oh, he's getting beat by his teammate, and then like now he's like, I really hope Lewis wins this race. Yeah, and I know. Like, I don't know. What is your allegiance here, Nico? It's very strange. But I can relate to that. He's his allegiance is to no one. It's just to what he feels in the he's moment. Just he wakes a, up he's and he's like, chaotic. you know what? Today, I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan. And then he'll wake up tomorrow and be like, you know, who I've always fucking hated. Lewis Hamilton, what a dog. I love it. I love it. But yeah, uh, yeah, Brundle's probably the highlight for me, and you've been quoted on the show as saying that Martin Brundle is a geriatric, so that's an issue. But alas. Oh, he is. But I agree, Brundle, Brundle's the best. Uh, but Button I enjoy. Yep. Um, but again, I'll, I just, I'm will i almost scared of Button in the broadcast booth, because I'm like, do I just enjoy it because... I love Button, and if he's there for long enough, I'll start to realise that he's just stupid and pro-British as well, and it will ruin my fond memories of one of my all-time favourite F1 drivers. Yes. So, um... I think, on in all honesty, what I would say is, I think the solution here is that... And, I will, and that's the other thing. I don't know for sure whether it is entirely that, or whether we just get the Sky broadcast, because Sky is Murdoch which also owns Fox, and KO is directly linked as a streaming service in Australia is directly linked with Fox, so we just get the Sky broadcast. But I'm like, I just... If there isn't a pure FOM Formula One feed, I would like that to come into existence. And if there is, I think I'd just like us to get it. And, you know, have, have an American bloke hosting it, have a Brit 
and a fucking Dane or something being the commentators. Have your pit lane reporter be from fucking France, and we can all <laughs> laugh at you know his accent as he gives us really useful information. And, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that's more than enough talk about broadcast journalism for a week. You started the segue earlier before I uh, paused you because I thought it was worth talking about the Sonoda stuff. You're right. Mercedes weren't the only people to um, be getting things wrong in the pit lane, nor was Alpha Tauri. Uh, the Ferrari engine cars... Um, came together to have a bit of a nightmare, um, and they decided to, well, I'd like to think unintentionally, specific target, specifically target me and my loves, because <laughs> the victims of shocking pit stops this weekend were Carlos Sainz on not one but two occasions, and Mick Schumacher on not one but two occasions. Yes. So um, do you want to start with Carlos, or do you want to start with Mick? <laughs> I... I don't really give a shit about Mick at this point, so I want to start with Carlos. I'm sorry. If you're going to go with I don't give a shit about Mick on a weekend where he out-qualified his oh, yeah. by almost 10 positions to make Q3, then why the fuck... Oh, his quality was great. His quality was awesome. And he got shafted he this he weekend. Was, he would have... So, yeah, don't, don't give me I don't give a hey, fuck about Mick. Hey, but I don't, I don't give a shit about, about Mick. I've lost interest. He's better than Daniel Ricciardo. I'll give you that for free. There you go. Well, what's the point of doing this broadcast then if you're just going to skip out at key elements of the? Well, I don't. I don't have an interest at in all the, the drivers. Day, Neither a, do you. Do you have? Are you? Go, are you? Are you planning on mentioning Lance Stroll's Q3 appearance today, Matthew? We can get to it. You sure. weren't planning on it, though, that. were you? And he drove a pretty solid race. Particularly, and had and, and had his best yeah, qualifying that's, 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 result okay. of the season. I put it, Jashan, any week where something notable has happened to Stroll, be it a really good battle with Vettel for P10, or he's crashed, or he's somehow got. I've mentioned Lance. I don't. I don't like Lance Stroll, but I mention him most weeks. Doubt. I will talk about. It. I will talk about it if there's something to talk about. Um. I'll open me put my hand up. I've not got all of my thoughts together to remember. Like, I've not even checked the qualifying results to um, refresh myself on that. Fair cop. So, look, I'd, forgotten, I'd forgotten Lance Stroll made Q3. Look, having was. just gone on a rampage accusing the British broadcast talent of being awfully biased, I myself am also awfully biased. Um, mostly against... It's why he wants the job at Sky Sports, folks. Yeah, exactly. So, I, yeah, I, I'll vote Carlos Sainz, but you are the host. You take it in whichever which way you well, prefer. Well, no, if you if you want to start with Sainz, take us through take us through Carlos Sainz's day. I don't, I don't mm. mind. I just wanted to know which one you to start with. Yeah, so it Before must be know. said... So take, us, take us through Carlos Sainz. First Sainz's. of all, we all thought that the saving grace for the Ferrari was the car. That even though their strategy is shit, the drivers have had a couple oopsie moments that the car was at least good enough to compete with Red Bull. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think the car is now officially, at best, second quickest. It looked third quickest in Zandvoort. Um, not ideal for the clown show. I'm not I'm not convinced by that, though, because they comfortably out-qualified Mercedes. Oh. Well, did Science they? just didn't have the race pace. And the only reason the clerk got that race podium pace, is because yeah. of Hamilton's... Tire fracas at the end. They wouldn't. They wouldn't have gotten on the podium, just based on. 
No, I agree, but I don't know whether that was purely pace or it was, again, it was that out, that out straight. Like, I don't think we were going to say Mercedes looked faster than Red Bull if they beat the Red Bull. I think Mercedes strategy themselves into a winning That's position. Fair. And then got... I don't, so I don't know whether I'd be going but, so far as I mean, to say what, Ferrari. It was that. Verstappen on pole, Leclerc second, and in about, what, around 10 laps, Verstappen had already mm-hmm. a, a race-winning lead. Oh, no doubt. But see, I'm I'm not entirely convinced that the Red Bull has eclipsed the Ferrari as a car. Because for the most part, the Ferrari still relatively look to have Perez covered. I think it's just Verstappen's now. Just it's, it's Verstappen's in a different stratosphere. Plausible. Verstappen doesn't need to be in the best... Being being the best car, he's not like mile. It's not like his car is miles behind, but his car is near enough to the Ferrari that he just does the rest and blows. Now, this away. is also a track that should have, that should really have benefited the Ferraris. Like this should be in theory a track that they can thrive. But the yeah. damn, but the, the, the twisties and the turnies. But it just didn't. It didn't. It didn't manifest. And they didn't yeah. look like winning at all. At, at least in other races, you can say, oh, look, they, they fucked up from the no, lead. For, yeah, there was no point this weekend where I thought Ferrari yeah, was Which is, I guess, where I'm, where I'm getting to. And they've ruined all hopes of... Oh, look, not all hopes. I forget where Science was running exactly, but I, I want to say it was up amongst the podium positions when... I'm pretty sure it would have been yeah, fourth, yeah. They bring him in. They, they make the call to pit late... Obviously, this is when you know everyone's pitting. It's all a bit dramatic. It's with the BSC and whatnot. But they come in. Science comes in for his pit stop, and they have just not gotten all their tires there, ready to go. They've forgotten. I think it was the rear left, and so he's there for twelve seconds. And there's a fun little screen cap of of the Ferrari versus Red Bull season summed up, right? And it's Science's pit stop at twelve seconds, and it's Perez's pit stop at two seconds. And obviously, this lets Perez gets past get past Science, and then to make matters worse, they send Science out directly in the path of Fernando Alonso, giving Science was a five second penalty. The same stop, or was that not same stop? Science was it not? Was it? I thought it was possibly that Science had the slow stop and his green flag stop, and then in the VSC stop, he got sent out into the track. Fairly certain it was the same stop, but regardless, you you don't want any pit stop mistakes. On Sunday, let alone two major ones that take your driver from, you know, around P3 to, I think he finished yeah. P8 in the end. A little bit on the embarrassing uh, side yeah, of things. Yeah, I think so. A tr- tricky one as well, because it was definitely, I don't, I, I think, I can't remember whether or not the slow stop was the VSC. The penalty definitely came from the VSC stop, and he did have, that's the whole thing. Um, I don't know whether you were across it, we'll get to this in the F2 broadcast, but they had a ruling for F2 that the teams could not pit under the VSC because the small, it's a smaller pit lane at yeah. Zandvoort and it's all a bit more bunched together. And just for safety reasons, they didn't want to have like a whole bunch of cars all coming in right together mm-hmm. um, to perform their pit stops. And it felt a little bit like that on the F1 grid. It was a cramped pit lane and we obviously saw Signs wasn't able to pull away with the fluidity he normally would because he had the McLaren or Alpine, whoever is in the garage ahead of him, which meant, in a normal circumstances, he may have been able to release cleanly in front of Alonso, but with the McLaren there, he had to take a sharper turn in that, which slowed him down and, yes, released him right into the path of Alonso, for which he would get a five-second penalty. Uh, and then just on his race as well, he would also have... Well, 100% his mistake, um, 
Very, very unlucky to be halfway through an absolute dominant slipstream move down the straight um, on Ocon, I think, right when uh, Bottas decides to come to a stop at the end of <laughs> the main straight. Up, poor boy. Um, and so, yeah, signs very obviously overtaking a car under yellows as he went past the stopped car. And that's which 100% signs is a mistake. Um, and I'm glad because I believe they gave, they got him to give the position back, and I'm glad they went for the action of not dishing out a penalty for that. I think they could very conceivably have given him one because it was so blatant, even though he did draw that. But I also just, whilst that was a mistake, what what fucking luck to have had a slow pit stop and then an unlucky release, and then of you're you're the driver who just happens to be arriving on the scene whilst making... could have been anyone else on the grid, but no, it's you who's the one making the overtake as you arrive at the yellow oh, flag. Oh, yeah. Science had um, really hard luck for him, I feel for him. You really do. At this point, it's just... I am... I am Me me as a Carlos Science fan now, I am now... And I think Carlos Science is Carlos Science. I think we and the rest of the Carlos Science fan base, we now all epitomise... Um, that classic, like, onion or patooter or whatever sort of headline meme of, you know, local local man who had lost all hope loses additional last bit of hope he didn't even realise he had. Yeah. And um, that, that was me this weekend as a Carlos Science fan. It was just like, oh, my God. I just, every week, every week, I'm like, it can't get any worse than this. This is, this is as bad as it gets. And then it just all happens again, and it's like, oh my god, just make it. <laughs> He's <stop."> already dead. <laughs> um, genuinely, genuinely, I'm actually, I'm actually a little bit scared for Monza, because like, what happens if Ferrari Ferraris in front of the Tifosi? dude? This like, is the, the, they've made so many mistakes that at this point, Bedotto actually said there is something wrong. We need to address. He said that he admitted there was something wrong oh at God. Ferrari. Oh, so finally. Better late than but never. he insisted that the but only like, thing that was wrong I... was the pace of the car. He said the actual team itself and the strategy was totally fine. He said, where is it here? I think if I look at today, simply the call was too late a call on, on Science's 12.7 second stop. So we had no time to react. All these things need to be fixed but these ones are the easiest to be fixed. So why haven't you fixed them all fucking season, Mattia? I mean, he's right. They are the easiest to be fixed, but he's not fixed them. Yeah. Um, I'm just like, should we? We should. Oh, are we worried about potential casualties at um Monza, either from the Tifosi just murdering members of Ferrari, <laughs> or just from like literal riots breaking out? Um, uh... and then. It all just getting a bit... I don't know. It could be absolutely crazy. We'll get to that in a minute in the preview of Monza. Um, the other one, Mick Schumacher. I was only... I only remember one of them, but apparently Mick had not one, but two slow stops. I think he only had like a 10-second stop at the first stop, which I was very actively aware of. I think he drove a great qualifying, um, pulled it out right at the last second to get out of Q3, Q two Q one sorry, and then made it all the way into Q three, and then qualified eighth. He out qualified guys in Q three, which is super impressive. He didn't get the greatest start. He dropped back a couple of spots and was running P ten, but he was still in the points, well in the fight. The two guy he he started in the medium, and he was passed by two soft tire runners. So considering how well that medium strategy seemed to be working for the Mercedes, you'd kind of be backing the in the long run. He'd jump back in front of the guys who got past him on the softs. 
and then just a 10 second pit stop which buried him into the pack and it's just so hard to get past at Sanford. So like it's bad enough when you drop back but if you properly drop back behind cars who in terms of relative one lap pace you're that much faster than unless you've got the big straight line advantage you're just not going to get by them. So it doesn't matter if you're over the course of the technical you can be like a second and a half faster than someone in the twisty bit of Zanvoort. But if you're not 25 kilometers per hour faster than them on the straight yeah well you're just going to go a second and a half slower than what you're meant to be on the lap because you can't get by um so yeah he just got buried down the pack and then he had a second one as well he was able to recover up to 13th which all things considered pretty decent result i think for two fucking shocking pit stops and that um, and it's just a little bit annoying because it's obviously he knows the writing of the wall. By all accounts, he's almost definitely losing his arse drive and there's big question marks about where there will could be a seat for him on the grid. Ocon's continued to come into bat for him and I know you're a bit like, well, I don't see the point, but I, I don't know. Well, last like, week you why... said you don't want Mick Schumacher in the Alpine CD though. No, because I was thinking it's Gasly. Uh-huh. But now it seems like if Gasly to Alpine is entirely contingent on um, Herder going to AlphaTauri, which A, I don't want, and B, I'm not entirely convinced that the FIA will approve that for a super license. I think there could be a bit of a revolt from the other teams that are a bit like, what's the grounds for Herder to get an exemption? Now, in fairness, I, I am of the opinion, I think, uh, assuming on a better, uh, assuming if you translated the IndyCar point scaling to something more similar to F3 or F2 or something like that, and in that case, Herder would have a super license. I think he should have a super license, but that's not what the current system is. So I think there's relative grounds for everyone else to be a bit annoyed because otherwise they're like, well, if, if that was the case, why haven't we all just been taking top Indy drivers this whole time? Um, well, but yeah, if that's that's the piece that determines whether or not Gasly goes to Alpine, that leaves me, that leaves the contenders for the Alpine's options as Ricardo, Schumacher, and Doohan. And I'd be tempted to say, probably that. Is, has been chatted about as well. Yeah, okay, Hulkenberg. Well, the only one of those I'd kind of be more interested in seeing in that car than Schumacher is Doohan. Um, yeah, the youngster in there. Super unproven. It'd be interesting, but I, that, I, I know obviously that. But like Ocon, or maybe not. But Ocon, Ocon did make a fair point. It can be hard to show just what you've got in an ailing car. Oh, for sure. I know. Obviously, we have situations because that's like, are you? I'd I'd make the argument. Have obviously George had that, but is he is he truly? That far, and obviously the just thing. The difference is George looked great compared to his teammate because he had three years where he was paired with Robert Kubica and Nicholas Latifi. So if we temporarily set aside the fact that obviously K-Mag came out right at the start of this season and was fucking awesome for a couple of races and then has done close to Jackal since, um, if we set aside the intra-team bit, 
does Mick really look that far away in terms of some of the results he's had from what George did in his three seasons at Williams? I don't think anyone's talking about Mick Schumacher in the same way that they're talking about George Russell. With I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying they are. The I'm not saying they are. But qualifying results and and showing some flashes of really. Uh, Schumacher's shown flashes, flashes to be sure. And yes, the car he's been driving has been dog shit. But uh, no one's talking about him in the same way that they were talking about George. Oh, and I'm not. I'm not. But my point, just being like, I don't. Is he? That's my point. Is he truly that far away? And that that you should be definitively saying, oh, there's no point putting him in a better car because he's no good. Why is it not? Well. If there's a seat there, why not chuck him in an Alpine for a year in a better car and see if in a car that's actually capable of consistently scoring points, he can flash that talent and consistently score points. Because Alpine aren't in that position. Alpine want to be pushing towards contention. They don't want to be, oh, let's chuck him in the car for a season. They want a guy they know will get results. That's the thing. Is is Ricardo going to deliver those results? I don't... I don't think I don't think Ricardo has a better chance of delivering those results. Than Me Schumacher. neither. I think Ricardo's dog shit right now. And I don't I don't think I don't think you can say a Hulkenberg who's been out of the sport for a while is definitely more capable of delivering those results than a Schumacher. Um, Hulkenberg's an interesting one. I, th- I obviously I didn't really watch the sport when Hulkenberg was at his peak, so I'm not really the expert. I think Gasly is the move, and that's the move they have. Oh to no, push I agree, for. and that's why. That's why I'm saying this is why I'm talking in a universe where they cannot get Gasly for mm-hmm. me. Then that's where I'd be like, unless you're unless you're ready to promote Doon, and if they are, I'm all for that. Doon has shown enough for me in the last few rounds of F2. Where again, I'm like, you know, you've got a decision to make. Do you want to leave a person for a second season and make sure they are truly developed? But if you're happy to go and maybe jump a bit early, Doon is definitely showing that. He is certainly not unworthy of a team yeah. taking a risk on him in Formula One. He's got he's more than that. So I'd be happy for them to do doing, but if they're not wanting to do that and they cannot get Gasly, I I think Schumacher is the best option out there. Like I don't think you can make a convincing argument that anyone else who's floating around as a free agent has Danny I don't, a, a, you know a, <laughs> an infinitely locked in better chance of doing well being relevant than Schumacher does. I'm not saying any of them necessarily have a worse chance either, but if that's the case, you for me, if you're looking at a bunch of guys that are at best, um, you know, or worse, whatever, even sort of playing field, even sort of split, you're just as likely to get a good result from Schumacher as you are from Hulkenberg Ricardo or anything like that. Why not bet on the young guy? Because you know, you like Ricardo and Schumacher, Ricardo and Hulkenberg could be more likely to achieve your results in that, but I think at the respective points in their career, particularly Hulkenberg, I think we'd all be safe to say neither of those two are developing into and winning a world championship. Schumacher probably isn't either, but Schumacher is 24 compared to 34. Oh, yeah. There's at least a faint sliver of hope that he could all of a sudden break out and that. So for me, I'd bet on the youth. But obviously, I I, I still feel the thing. Gasly is the one to put in that yeah, car. Yeah, and I think you've you've got to Harry Red Bull. And I I think if you're really that in on it, and you wanna after, and we're gonna, we're gonna get to this in a minute, and maybe this will be our segue into it. If you 
don't think there's anything else we're really missing from the race weekend. We might just use this to segue straight away. So uh, is there anything else of the race that is really worth talking about in your book that I've just not Oh, remembered? I mean, the fact that Alonso came sixth from starting 13th was very impressive. Mm. Al... We can possibly bundle that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all Alpine relevant. I mean, look, it all comes down to they completely fucked up. I mean, it'd be kind of ironic if they do chuck doing directly into that car right when they held off on piastri why did you snake my segue after i have the decency to check with you that there wasn't anything left to talk about from the race well played well played you fucking (laughs) it's a good it's a good it's a good point though isn't it i mean like doing in in piastri if you can that was my exact segue yeah it's all, it's all, that's the thing. So it all comes down to, for Alpine and that, um, after the whole nightmare was we get into and the who's, who's at fault here and how they handed a play this situation, if you're really going to want to try and walk the walk to back up all the talk you've made in that, you need to put your money where your mouth is a bit and give Red Bull an offer they can't refuse. And maybe you're going to have to overpay slightly and go, mm-hmm. we'll give you this much money to buy out Gasly from his contracts so we can have him because that's the guy we want because we want a top guy in our car. Gasly's the only top guy that's available. As I said, I think in many ways, I then that's it. if I was to rank the order, I'd be going for me, Gasly, it's not Gasly, you're going doing... If it's not doing, you're going Schumacher. If it's not Schumacher, no, Joe's no longer affiliated. No, Joe is left, and he's very glad to have done so. (laughs) Yes, 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 I remember that now. If it's not Schumacher, it's Hulkenberg, and if it's not Hulkenberg, it's Ricardo. But the fact is it should have been Piastri Um, from the start, and they fucked it up. Yes. So let's get into... All of this, I'll give a quick recap and then I'll go to you to expand on it. And then if I think there's anything I've read that you've missed, mm-hmm. I'll jump back in with it. So yes, the contract recognition board met throughout last week. I, our thoughts were that it met last Monday. It took a while for it to all happen. But as of, was it Friday morning? Saturday morning, maybe. Um, wherever it was, it was once everyone, the whole circus was very much in Zanfort. The news broke. The contract recognition board had deemed one of um, Piastri's contracts to be valid and binding, and that being his contract with McLaren. Oscar Piastri will be driving for McLaren uh, next season in 2023. Alpine is on the lookout for a new driver, hence such discussion about who it should be for them. Uh... Jashan, I'm trusting you'll be largely across this, so take us through as much of you know of all the different um, technical points of the contract itself, when particular deals were signed, and then all the different sort of comments the various parties have uh, made. Let's do it. So, yes. The hearing at the CRB, the Contract Recognition Board, began, what, last Monday? came to a head nearly a week later when it was indeed announced Piastri would be driving for McLaren. So, the FIA announced that the tribunal had... This is this is the best part. It wasn't even like it was a... 
a close decision. They issued a unanimous decision that the only contract to be recognized by the board is the contract between McLaren Racing and Mr. Piastri dated 4th of July 2022. Unanimous, Matthew. Unanimous. Alpine were completely in the wrong. Uh, and and they've just they've dragged it out. They've drawn it out so unreasonable. It's just like if you don't know 100% that you've got this contract situation nailed down, why have you made it into such a fucking media circus? Like, why has Otmar been facing the, the public saying, We're, we've got this, we've got this, we've got You need to know these things. You need to know how your own contracts work. I mean, how do you not know that your contract that you've, you've theoretically signed with, with Piastri is not binding? How do you not know that? As a, what, a multi-million dollar corporation. You've got to know such things. It's just embarrassing. And you've got Alonso, meanwhile, in, what, the, the form of his return since he came back. He's on a really impressive stretch of, of races. He's, like, invigorated. He's killing it. I'm, I'm actually kind of keen to see how he does at Aston Martin now, at this point, just the way he's going. He seems to just have this new fire in his belly. It's just embarrassing. And you've got Daniel Ricciardo out here calling Piastri, giving him his blessing. Like, oh, you're going to do great. Make sure you do this and this and this. Ra rah, rah. Aussies supporting each other. It's good to see. And, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's behind us. And I think Alpine are a bit of a clown show for all of it, quite frankly. Um, yeah, there you go. Fair enough. Okay, so, well, so some key things here um, should be said. 4th of July, Piastri signed his yes. contract with yep, McLaren. Yep, yep. As of the 13th of July, if we all remember, Daniel Ricciardo put out that tweet saying he was still committed to McLaren mm-hmm. till the end of his contract. They did not afford, They did not inform him that they were even entertaining other options till the very end of July, and it was only a couple of weeks back in mid-August that they informed him that he would be being let go. Mm -hmm. That is crazy. Like, for me, very quickly off the top of the bat, so top five, I'll do a quick quick ranking of the various players involved in this in terms of how well I actually think they've come out of this just in terms of how they look, not to say that nothing to do with on-track performances, just how they've looked in all of this. To that. Right, number one, Daniel Ricciardo has come out of this looking better than any other person involved like in the situation. Like a good lad. A good lad. All he, is, all he has been is the epitome of class. When he had knew nothing other than the fact that, that he was I'm fully committed to McLaren, I'm with McLaren. He is not bad mouth McLaren at any uh-huh. point. He said he was committed to them, then once they told him... He was going. He was still committed to the end of the season. He didn't have. He's not had any. I can't believe they're doing this to me. They've screwed me over. Comments. He's then found out that they actually secretly signed a deal with another driver over a month and a half before telling him that, that he'd be getting let go. He's not come out and said anything negative about McLaren. He's taken the time to a reveal to the world that Mark Webber sought him out to. You know, sort of apologize for it's all gone down. You know, say it's nothing personal. I'm sorry that it's just that, and to say that he fully understands, 
Like, he gets it, you know, he obviously wants to keep his drive in that because he cares about that. That's it. Oscar wants to drive because he cares about the sport. He wants to be part of Formula One. He understands. It's just, it's a business. It's how it goes. He wishes Oscar all the best. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear stories down the line, potentially, especially if Ricardo ends up out of the sport, so he's not a direct rival in that, of him possibly giving some advice to Piastri. Maybe Piastri seeking some input for Ricardo of how did you handle these oh. kind of things? How would you handle this kind of thing? Um, so Ricardo's come out of this. I obviously, again, on-track performances have been dismal. I've given up trying to defend Ronnie to keep Ricardo in the oh, sport. He was so things, shit just, at Zanford. He was he's so become shit. so incredibly... Yeah. <laughs> he's sad. It's sad. Unfortunately, he's become just... Yeah. Don't know whether he's, like, truly washed as a driver. As I say, form is temporary, class is permanent. But right now, the form and, like, it seems to be, like, the interest or, like, yeah, like, the interest level, the the willpower, the desire to be really competitive in this car, understandably now, just seems completely gone. Um, and unfortunately, it's just hard to justify a spot for him on the grid. But as a professional... um. Nothing but class. He's come out of this, I think, looking brilliant mm-hmm. the way he has handled himself. Who's that? Number two would be Piastri. I'm with the way it's all gone down. I'm, I'm inclined to believe Piastri's version of events, which is that he obviously felt as the way things were going, it didn't seem like that. It still seemed very strongly like Alpine was trying to work out something with Alonso. And so for Piastri, he would have known he's not getting the Alpine seat. Maybe they'll loan me to Williams, and he's gone, oh. I don't really love the idea of that. I'd rather try and, you know, see what else I have and what I only have with, you know, Alpine. I just, the agreement is more like a deal in principle. It's not uh, you are our possession. It's, you know, it's more of almost like a verbal agreement, a deal in principle kind of thing. And so he said, apparently he said to Otmau, said to Alpine, said to Otmau, he said, on multiple occasions, I'm leaving. I'm going to go negotiate with other teams. I'm not staying mm-hmm. around. And possibly even he might have said, I've signed with another team or whatever. And then when they suddenly, out of nowhere, the Alpine thing has fallen, the I'm sorry, the Alonso thing has fallen through. And all of a sudden, despite having been told, said that to Otmar on multiple occasions, Alpine just announces it. And so then what, like, the way he did it, probably not the greatest, but like, what's he, what's he meant to do? He's told the team, I'm not driving for you next year. And then the team made a press release without apparently consulting with him. To say he's driving, so, so uh, it's dumb. hard to blame him for issuing issuing a formal statement of no, I reject this. I'm not. I'm not driving. Can I just it. slot in real quick, just on, um, on what I was mentioning later, like Alpine not knowing. I'm I'm a I'm about to get to Alpine if you're willing to wait. I'm they're they're coming oh, further yeah, yeah, in this sure. list, and I will I will get into what I think of them. Um. And then from that point, him and his camp haven't really said anything. They've they've kept fairly silent they've they've waited it out to see what the verdict is they've not shot off too much bad mouthing but yeah if he if he's to be believed and i feel like he is that he had formed alpine and that that he was leaving and clearly the deal with alpine wasn't legally binding or anything so he was under every right in that and certainly again you can't really blame him it seemed like alpine were more interested in targeting and keeping the proven talent in alonso and fair enough as we said alonso's killing it right now there's obviously no consideration of Ocon being the one to go. So whether or not you think that Ocon is good enough to keep out Piastri, that doesn't come into it as far as I'm concerned. It's purely just Alonso Piastri. And Piastri's got all the future. But if you're feeling you're competitive now and the way Alonso is driving, 
there's a more than compelling case that you're better to keep Alonso in that mm-hmm. cup. That's fair enough. Um, but so Fedorovsky is feeling that, and so it's okay. Well, if I'm staying with Alpine, it won't be at the Alpine seat, so they'll loan me to Williams. And it's not just Williams for 2023. There was a good chance it was going to be Williams for 2024 too, because the plan, the talk was that Alpine was trying to get Alonso on like a two-year deal or like a one-and-one-year deal with an option to exercise and stuff like that. If he doesn't want to spend two years in the Williams, fair enough. He thinks his talent's good enough to be further up the grid straight away. Mm-hmm. Why not? Um, so I don't think he can be blamed for going to negotiate. Anyway, it's a business. Fuck us. Uh, next up, I'd probably go with... I forget who was who was it that... um Who was the uh, insider from the F2 that um. That's the one. Juan Manuel Correa comes out of this looking brilliant because he was fucking right. Um, he's absolutely nailed this, uh, on a weekend, uh, double great weekend for him. He looks bloody brilliant because he's nailed this. Then he picked up his first F3 podium as well. So one Malcolm Correa comes out of this looking great. And at this point, honestly, it's a pretty close toss up for who comes out of this looking worse between Alpine and McLaren. Because to break it down with them, McLaren has signed a driver in secret to replace their driver who was still under contract for another year and a half without telling that driver under contract, waited a full month to then tell that driver, oh, we might be looking to replace you. <laughs> um, around the time that this news reportedly broke that they'd signed a contract with someone else and then waited another two weeks after all that news had broken everything to then tell the aforementioned already contracted driver that we are terminating our agreement with you and we are replacing you. It's just dodgy and underhanded that. And it's the fact that it's a doubly bad look for McLaren, because sure, they've come out on top of this one and that, but they don't look great in the way they've handled it. And they've got the same fucking thing going on in IndyCar with the whole Alex mm-hmm. Pillow thing. So, like, McLaren just, like, what is Zach Brown doing? Have a bit of transparency. Don't be so committed to Ricardo. Don't let Ricardo go out and make it look a little bit of a fool of himself by saying, I'm committed to McLaren. I'm here till the end of my deal. You let him say that. Yeah. After you'd already signed Piastri. Like, you're a cunt. <laughs> um, yeah. You're not helping the stereotype of Americans, mate. And then Alpine, I, to be clear, as I said, I do not blame Alpine for deciding that their preference is keeping Alonso over bringing in Piastri. Because, as I said, there's a compelling argument that if you're trying to be competitive and all of those things, and if you think you're a team in the up and up, you want the proven established talent, especially the one that's, as you said, he's in a real purple patch of form right now. Like, it's a pretty realistic argument. Even with Piastri as so mercurial of a talent, if he is, and, you know, and if, if he was in Australia and things like that, like... If we're not talking build the franchise necessarily for the next 10 years right now, if you're talking purely Alpine, and whether you can make, make the case of is Al, should Alpine be in this mindset, but if your mindset is win now, I think you are, I, I don't, you, you, you're picking off, I think it's you pick Alonso over Piastri because you know Alonso is good enough to win yeah. now. You think Piastri might be good enough to win everything, but you don't know for sure that he's going to win anything. Piastri could fucking suck in yeah. Formula 1. Unlikely, but possible. So you go with the proven talent. That's fine, but don't act all oh, butthurt about lack of loyalty and everything like that, because it's a two-way street. You've, if you were so, if you want 
Piastri to show the loyalty to you in that, you've got to show more to him. Yeah. Just going, ah, oh, you're the backup option if Alonso falls through, and otherwise we're learning you out to the worst team on the grid. That's not that's not a sending a message to your academy talent that we really want you. Like, the thing. Uh, you gave Piastri the vibe of you're not our first choice, and he went, fair enough. I completely respect that. I'm going to go look elsewhere because I want to be someone's What's first choice. That? Like, I've, I've got know. some details here. If, if and then some some backup. The way, yeah. Let me just finish, and then you can go. And then the way they've come out and said it, making those insinuations and that, and letting people like that. I was just Toto. Toto comes out of this looking pretty shitty as well. Because he just completely unnecessarily waded in and gave comments. I can't remember whether or not he was possibly asked a question about it, but he even was, if he yes. was, you're the team manager. You're the team manager for Mercedes, not for McLaren, not for Alpine. Just say, I don't know enough about the situation. I'm not going to comment on it. It's not for me to comment. I don't know anything about it. Because he sort of said, I don't know all the details, but I think there should be some loyalty and stuff like that. It's like, just don't say anything, mate. You've like you've thrown yourself under the bus. Basically, voluntarily. No one's going to go, oh, wow, did you see how, like, when asked about the Piastri situation, Toto Wolf went, I have nothing to say on the matter? Seems kind of sketchy. You'd just be like, yeah, fair enough. It's probably a dumb journalistic question, wasn't it? Like, the fuck does he know about the situation? Um, but, yeah, just Alpine, the comments they've made, and Otmar is just constant doubling down and everything. It's just, yeah, like, it's almost like, why, why would Top Talents want to go to Alpine now? Because it looks like it's a bit of a mess. Um, but yeah, what have you got the further information to expand on that? So it's not it's not that Alpine it's not a it's not a conceptual thing at this point that they fucked him over. They actively fucked him over. So the the CRV what they found is that Piastri had signed a contract with McLaren and had never actually signed a contract with Alpine to drive for them in F1. What he had signed was a terms sheet. In November 2021. A terms sheet. Which only specifically covered his role as a reserve driver this season. Which he has been the reserve driver. That's what he's done. It, it successfully managed to do that. And it and it provided the starting point for negotiations for him driving for Alpine in, 2020, in 2023. But with no guarantee that he would drive for them until 2025. Now... There were talks between Weber, obviously Piastri's manager, and Laurent Rossi that contracts would be exchanged at least by early 2022. Never happened. Never happened. And basically, they've, they've just seen that, okay, look, they're, not, they're literally just not, they're not trying to sign us right now. They've told us they will, and they haven't actually sent over the paperwork. Let's look elsewhere. Fair enough. Like, fair enough. Oscar Piastri doesn't want to sit on the sidelines until 2025. Obviously not. Obviously not. You know, Mark Webber can't keep going to Piastri and Piastri's family saying that, oh, look, the, the documents are on their way. No, he can't keep doing that forever. He, as a manager, has to go out and get his guy signed. And he's done that. And it, it went down pretty unfortunately to say the least and I think it's good to see Weber taking Ricardo I don't know if you've seen this headline Matt but Weber you know took Ricardo aside at the end of I think it was in mm. just mm. to apologize mm. and be like hey obviously we never meant yeah, to fuck you over I mean, like I this I mentioned that myself yeah, yeah but um 
And then you've got headlines where Otmar still doesn't understand why Piastri wanted to leave. You said you would sign him up properly and you never offered him the paperwork for close to a year. Not even, not even for that. Just as simple. He wants to drive, and he wants to drive a yeah. relevant car. You weren't looking like you. Were, I'm sure that's the thing. I don't think he's ever said at no point. Oh, I don't didn't want to be an Alpine driver. It was he didn't think he was going to get to be an Alpine driver. And then once he'd signed a contract for McLaren, he'd signed something mm-hmm. legally binding. So he'd made his bed there. Yeah. Like, because I'm still kind of partly of the opinion that. I'm not convinced the McLaren will be better than the Alpine. I don't actually. think it he will. I think McLaren are in the shit. Taking the choice to go to the fi- to go to the fifth best. I wouldn't go fully to the shits, as we said. If Ricard, if Piastri was their driver this year, there's a chance they may actually be ahead of Alpine in the standings because the gap between them is not that big, and Ricardo's way behind Norris. But that's the thing. You possibly made the choice. He's possibly gone to the fifth best team on the grid when he could have been at the fourth best team on the grid. But he's chose to go there. He chose to jump into the best seat he could get on the grid because it didn't seem like the Alpine seat was there. And that's the bit, like, that's what you've got to understand as well. And that's what that, what you cut, you just had this expectation that because you'd financed him through F2 and all of that, that the best talent to ever come through the junior categories would just sit there and patiently wait till you were ready for him. It's ridiculous. Why? Because he could wait for you. For all we know, and obviously who knows that, but now that he's done this, he could rock at McLaren, he could blow Norris out of the water, Carlos signs, or like Lewis could suddenly decide to retire at the end of last season because he gets thoroughly dicked by George and he decides <laughs> he's had enough, or Carl- one of Carlos or Charles could absolutely vehemently shit the bed and that, and then Piastri, who is blowing Norris away and driven a fucking shitbox McLaren to, like, six in the standings, barely behind Perez, suddenly one of the top teams just goes, oh, fuck it, we're buying him out. He's so good. And all of a sudden, in year two of his career, Piastri is in a Mercedes, a Ferrari, a Red Bull or something, and an instant championship contender. But that's not a possibility if he's not on the grid in the first place. No one's going, well, our guy sucks. McLaren, uh, Piastri is the best guy not in a car, but, you know, you're unless you've got all of the data because they're your in-house academy driver and then maybe you throw them straight to the top team. But when have we seen that done any time recently? All the Red Bull guys went through a bit of time at AlphaTauri. Leclerc spent a season at Sauber. Russell spent three years at Williams, so that doesn't yeah. happen. So even if Piastri is, in theory, the better that, you're going to go with one of your guys who's in one of your either official or de facto junior teams or just some other talent on the grid who's proven. So the only way Piastri can have a road to the top is if he's there in the first place. And he took the option of having the foot in the door and that. And it's it. I don't begrudge Alpine the fact that they went the route of trying to secure Alonso first. However... It does sound like they were kind of pussyfooting around that as well. They weren't being properly committal. They were trying to, you mm-hmm. know, wingle and wangle and negotiate and get a, like just if you want Alon- if you want Alonso, properly sign him up properly because that's why Alonso left because he just felt like Alpine weren't seriously playing ball. Another seat opened up all of a sudden, and Aston Martin were super proactive and we were just like, hey, we want you. We'll give you this, and he was like, yep, yeah, all right, sounds good. That's a deal. Yeah. I'll take it. Alpine just that. Uh, and then the last thing as well is on the whole announcement thing and like that. So stupid. Either either 
the announcement was like fully, fully approved by Altmaier and everything. And Altmaier was like, yep, do Mr. Social Media Guy, do this, announce him. And then Altmaier's just a fucking idiot because he's, again, he's ignored Piastri saying to him on multiple occasions, I am gone, I am left, I am not driving here next year, regardless of the Alonso thing. Or, you know, that's possible. This was a breakdown in communication or something, and something got lost in translation within Alpine itself, or just for whatever reason the social media guy thought, because the last thing he'd heard a few months ago was if we don't get Alonso, obviously we put in Piastri in the car, and so Alonso left, and then the social media guy was like, oh, okay, well, so Piastri's going in the car. I'll announce Piastri. Either way, Alpine um, looked like an absolute clown that, show. But, but, even, but even, even, if it, even if it was that, all you need to do as Alpine, once Piastri refuted, is go, oh, this was a mistake. You don't even need to reveal who your PR guy is and that. Just something got lost in the translation. It was made that we don't have a deal official deal with Piastri. We're possibly going to explore our options with him to see if we can convince him to flip-flop and that he does want to stay. But that, but they've just opted for double, triple, quadruple, quintuple down on it to the point, as you said, that they're still like, I don't understand why he left. Because yep. you hadn't offered him a contract. It's as simple as that. Like, I'm here. I love doing this podcast. I make no money from this podcast. If fucking... Fucking, I don't know any other. But if some other random Formula One podcast rocks up to me one day and goes, "Well, I've been listening to you, mate. We reckon your opinions are pretty good. We'll give you um fucking two free KFC meals a week to come work mm-hmm. for our podcast." Well, that's a better deal than I'm getting doing this. I probably go, "I've loved doing this show, but yeah, okay. There's actually something in that for me." And if you turn around a week later, like, "Oh, mate, I, w- I didn't tell you about it, but I've actually been behind the scenes negotiating a sponsor for the podcast." We're gonna make a hundred bucks an episode now. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I mean, all right, that's great. That would have been great. I would have kept that, but like, <laughs> I didn't know about that, and I've already taken this other deal. I can't just go back on podcast that deal now. Dr- so. Hey, you're not supposed to talk about a contractual situation on the air. What the hell, man? But that's I'm trying thing. to find you, the money. I swear. You, unless you've got something there in that, you take the offer that's available. Spoiler, you take the proactive team. You take the proactive team that's showing an interest and desire. I tell you who, who looks that. good like, coming out of this is Aston Martin because they replaced Otmar Safnauer with Mike Crack. Absolutely. Like if this thing's in life, you shouldn't settle for be. You should never settle for being someone's like second option or whatever like in dating, that. and you shouldn't settle for being someone's second option in podcasting, in like your professional life, your sporting life, and that, or in podcasting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it's all a mess. I'm glad it's resolved. I'm not convinced that Piastri is at the absolute best spot for him to shine, but he's at a spot. he is at a yeah. spot where he can shine, and I am convinced that he will shine, just maybe not as brightly if he had it. I bet Alpine doesn't deserve him, because they fucked about on two different contract negotiations. Like, That's a meme, isn't it? You know, at the minimum, it's a thing, either... Don't fuck around with the Alonso thing. Get him signed, and then you're not you're not nearly as stressed when Piastri leaves. Or proper lock Piastri into like a, a concrete deal that steps it out. If we get Alonso, we'll put you in a Williams yep. for two years, and then no matter what, Alonso could win the next two world titles. Doesn't matter. Well, either we get rid of Ocon or we just get rid of Alonso. You were in that car at this point. <coughs> 
And if you believe in this program and that, that take the two years at Williams and that and put it down in a deal and that, but show happiness. And then, and then, you know, if the Alonzo deal doesn't happen, then you just awkwardly say to Williams, like, ah, well, actually we need him and Williams will probably be perturbed, but they can either be like, well, that's not fair because they'll be like, ah, well, yeah, okay, well, you know, he's your driver. Yeah. Um, and then he drives your car. But yeah, they're just, they're fucked around on two different deals. It's completely screwed themselves. Oh, it's, it's... I'm not entirely convinced on Herder getting a super license, which means Gasly doesn't leave AlphaTauri, which means, as I said, now Alpine's choices are doing Schumacher, Hulkenberg, DeVries, Ricardo. Well, of which uh... Dune is the only... Dewan's the only truly, truly appealing option, but he's probably not the ideal guy to have in that car next year, particularly if you're wanting to be another step up the grid, more of a... Well, contender. literally, you compare the pair. Uh, Oscar Piastri, prodigious talent coming through, you know, F3, F2 champion, Jack Dewan, champion of neither. Still very good. You know, race winner in the junior category. Obviously, obviously that... In many ways, that once you get to F one, in some ways, that does mean. No, I know, but I look. There's one I'd rather have. Yes, driving. Oh, to definitely, that. definitely. I'd rather have had Piastri, and I'd rather have had Alonso. And especially, and then, then especially when Otmar was quoted as saying, "Oh, we've got so many drivers calling us up and and wanting that seat, so it'll be fine. We don't need Piastri." If they end up fielding a Schumacher or a, or a Dewan in that seat, it's just got oh. And if Piastri yeah. outscores, well. That particular driver, it's going to look so fucking embarrassing for the team in blue. I mean, it's it is it's already fucking embarrassing to be perfectly candid, but I don't know, I don't know. Colton Herder doesn't qualify for a super license. It's as simple as that. <sighs> Very strange. Plus, if you hear, um, if you believe, if you believe in uh, in random things that the mic has picked up along the grid walk, then Ricardo won't be driving in 2023. That is, that is true. They was overheard um, saying that to Perez. Obviously, whether that was an admission of none of the offers I've had on the table for this year are any good to me, so I'm not gonna, or whether it was more just he just doesn't expect he's gonna be here because he's not expecting Alpine to be open, and that's the only seat that really interests yeah. him. Um, but yeah. And I... You know, I, I, if he's gone, I'd find it hard to see how he would ever, um, come back. Like where, where is a seat? Unless he just decides after a year off of, I just, just really like driving Formula One. So I'll take whatever seat I can get. Uh-huh. But we've not seen like the same reasons. Like Hulkenberg probably could have come back for a shit team multiple times, but he doesn't really, if he comes back, he wants to come back in a decent seat. Yep. It's a decent seat going to open up. That would, but yeah, which I do think is a shame. As much as he's not been good, I still think it would have been nice for Ricardo to go out on his own terms. I think he earned that. Um, that's just not the way this business goes sometimes. Amen, but brother. you know, this is an eight-time Grand Prix winner. Oh, hold on to that. Um, so yeah, a little bit, a little bit of a mess. But hey, Piastri's on the grid. We can rest easy and fuck. Whether it's Ricardo in the Alpine, Ricardo in the Haas, or that, we may still end up with two Australians on the grid next season, which we haven't had since uh, last year of Mark Webber in 2013. Oh, yeah. Um, so it will have been about a decade since we've had two Australians on the grid, which is 
Pretty exciting. No, we might even get three. Who knows? That would be that would be genuinely wild. Maybe Nick Kyrgios will pop over and become an F1 driver after he wins the US Open. Who knows? Dude, he's uh, it's all opening up in front of him. He's got a lot of pressure on him now to win Fucking this bloke. But speaking of, he's actually no, yeah. Uh, do we want to have any, uh, any other points, or are we going into preview Monza? Um, that's the that's the big things that I can think of that have been floating around in my brain. So I think we can probably move on to previewing Monza. Cool. Let's make it happen. Um, you don't want to talk about Lando yeah. Norris allegedly cheating on his uh, on his partner? <laughs> Didn't know that was a story. Yeah. Definitely don't want to talk about it. Um, I know. We're not here to be TMZ. <laughs> we're not a tabloid. <laughs> I figured that would be your response. All right, let's do it then. All right, yeah, so Monza coming up this weekend. Um, it will be very surprising if it lives up to the last two Monzas. That's going to be a bloody tough act to follow. Monza has been arguably the race of the season too strong. Oh, all, this, all this Daniel yeah. Ricciardo chat. I mean, a year ago, it was it was so gorgeous. <laughs> I think definitely two years ago it was race of the season with Gasly mm. winning. Um, very much in the discussion last season with Ricardo winning. Uh, Verstappen ended up on top of Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Car-wise, to yes. be clear. That's what um, I yes. So, tough, tough, <laughs> tough act to follow. But, again, Monza has consistently been a pretty good track. Um, lots of slipstreaming, so there's plenty of opportunity for there to be overtakes. It's not a particularly hard track to pass on, so it can be some pretty good, fun racing. Uh, as always, I'll ask the basic question. Are you excited for it? I am. I'm, I'm pumped up. Pumped up kicks. It's a bad song. But... What do you mean it's a bad song? <laughs> it's a bad... It's, it's That's a controversial Controversial take. song. It's got a dark messaging, and we're, we're all about positivity on this show, Matthew. Mm. All about positivity. So, what? It's it's a bad song because it tries to draw light to, um like, the horrors of school shootings yep. and that? Yep. That's an interesting... That's a very based... Oh, mate, I am... They call me Jashan Based BV in the streets, brother. Although, although you do... You do much prefer to um, promote uh, misogynistic tunes and such like that, so I'm not. Oh, what what kind of what what songs do I listen to that are misogynistic, Matthew? Mate, I've heard Young Gravy's music. Young Gravy, according to roommate Jade, Young Gravy's actually quite respectful in his music because uh, he always talks about wanting to please the woman rather than just uh, the woman as a what? object That's of fair. his desire. Yeah. Well, he does still talk about them as an object. Oh, there you go. Them? Ah, oh, so women are them, are they, Matt? Come on, bud. A collective group A collective group Show of people are respect. them, whether they're male, female, Gosh. arachnids. Uh, them is a collective noun. No, it's not a collective noun. It's a collective pronoun. <laughs> I don't fucking know. Absolute memes. Pronoun, pronouns are evil. That's what half of the internet tells me, and the other half of the internet tells me that pronouns are the only thing that matters. 
Um, I cannot believe they're considering Colton Herder over Liam Lawson. It's such a joke. Anyways, Monza, am I excited? I don't know. Liam yeah. Lawson had a, Liam Lawson had a bit of a dud weekend this weekend, so it's back to there's no one good enough for Red Bull in the junior academies because you've got to change your take. Uh, you're, you're only as good as your last race, Jashan, and Liam Lawson didn't score points. So. <laughs> Whereas Colton Herder's coming off a P6. Huge. Uh, yeah, Monza, high-speed track. It's hard to see anything but a Red Bull win. Oh, dude. But, but, you know who I reckon the second favourite is this weekend? Lewis Hamilton. Well, no, I was going to go for an ironic answer, but semi-unironically, Alex Albon. Hell yeah! Fastest in the he straight has the, line, he has the he has the He has the fastest car. <laughs> Monza's basically just two big straights with a hairpin either end and a couple of chicanes. <laughs> Albon's going to be rapid. Albon, I'm definitely locking Albon in for a Q3 appearance. I reckon Albon guaranteed Q3. Oh, yeah? Um, the Alpha Tauris could be interesting as well because they're pretty, pretty fast in a straight line mm. too. Um, could be interesting for Mercedes and Ferrari. Will they just get mugged by... The um, Red Bull power units and the fact that Williams basically run as close to having no wings as you can on a car that very obviously visually has wings. Maybe they just try and take the wings off. Fuck it. Just run it like a Formula Ford. That'd be yeah. exciting. Um, that wouldn't that wouldn't end terribly at all. <laughs> um. But yeah, Monza's been a crazy race. I'd be, as I said, should be hard pressed to go three years in a row of a shock winner. Yeah. But fucking hell, wouldn't it be nice if wouldn't it Wouldn't it be nice? Uh, so I'll ask you uh, legit predictions, but also your if we go three years in a row on Monza, I want your prediction for who it's going to be. Hmm. Hmm. Honestly, Fernando Alonso, based on just current form, he's fucking gunning it. Give me Nando. He's had a he's had a podium since he's come back, but I want to let's see him get on the top step. Why the fuck not? Give it to Nando. Nando's gonna win. Hell yeah. Am I doing my whole my whole podium uh-huh. here? Yeah, do your actual yep, prediction. Yeah, beauty. Nando to win, uh, Max to come second. Be- Wait, so your actual prediction is Alonso to win? Yep. Uh, Max to come second and Hamilton to come third. Book it. Maybe the reason this podcast is failing is because you're trying too hard to uh, manufacture a conversation. Manufacture. Well, there needs to be a conversation. It's a podcast, man. Maybe the reason it's failing oh, is because you're you, just you're just too focused you... on the hardcore truth and the stats, like an actual journalist, and uh, you're just boring. You're boring. Oh, well, you're just plain. Boring. You're boring. No, my actual prediction because obviously oh. Alonso's not going to win. If there is a bold winner, it'll be it'll be Alonso. Obviously, you heard it here first, folks. Mm. But I'll take Verstappen from yeah. I'll, I'll book it. I'll go Hamilton P two and I'll go Perez P three. 
the Tafos, you're going to riot. That's pretty reasonable. I, nothing, nothing going crazy. You'd have to think you're going to have two Red Bulls on the Yes, podium. sir. Um, for me... Ooh, there you go. Trick players. That's a good way to get yardage. We're not going to be the number ranked, number four ranked college team for very long. This this is dismal. Um, uh, yeah, me, I, there's a few that I'd love to see. I would honestly, I'd love Ricardo to go back to back. That's just a big fuck you before he departs from Formula One. Vettel would be lovely. Yes. Alonso, certainly cool. Uh, Schumacher I'd obviously love as well. But honestly, I'm going to go just because I genuinely think they're going to be up there and on for a decent result with how much downforce means fuck all at this track and it's all about Alex high speed Albon. and that. Um, yeah, I'm going Alex Albon. <laughs> if if there's if there's madness winner, it's going to be Albon. And double A, Albon winning and Albon getting that win that he should have had all the you know, two seasons ago in the Red Bull at Austria. In fact, he gets his win in a Williams. And also it's now, it's been a decade... Since the Williams garage mysteriously burnt down on that uh, famous day, Pasta Maldonado, <laughs> Barcelona. Uh, so it's been like a decade since Williams last won a race, which is just... Needs to change. So I'd love it to be the Williams. Oh, yes. um, legit predictions. Red Bull 1-2. They'll just be too fucking fast. Verstappen, miles in front of Perez, miles in front of oh, everyone yeah. else. Uh, Hamilton, because I think he'll have enough of a vengeance that he'll be able to outdrive Russell. And I reckon Leclerc and Sainz, Sainz and Leclerc will probably be running two and three, somehow holding it ahead of Perez uh, for pretty much the whole fucking race. Um, and then in the last round of pit stops, they will... Well, Sainz, Sainz, they'll fuck up the tire change and he'll probably have a 25 seconds stop. <laughs> Uh, and they'll accidentally send Leclerc out on three wets <laughs> and a Formula Two tire. A Formula Two tire, you reckon? Um, oh. Yeah, like they're not even they're not even so bad. Like it's not even not even just they'll accidentally put on that. They'll put on three wets, but one of the tires won't even. They'll end up with a mismatch set that is all wets and then just an F two slick. They'll end up with one of the F two tires somehow. Which is which is even crazy because to be clear, F two tires don't go in tire warming blankets. Uh, true. So they'll just they'll just someone will just see and even a smaller looking, completely naked wheel and just be like, oh yeah, this a this a must be for Charles. Yeah, and then they'll leave one of the wheel guns on the track um, just to make sure Perez runs over it again. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about the fact that some <laughs> tosser threw a flare onto the track in um, Zanfor. What a prick. Yeah. The whole, the whole, please turn your flares in at the gate sign. <laughs> in particular work. Take your, take yeah. your pick of. I'd be really in, of, of different like Simpsons memes and things of that. Of you know, I'd be, I'd be really annoyed. You know, if they could read, they'd be really angry at this. Um, and just the Dutch fans, or like you know, leave your flares at you know the mm. gate, or don't. I'm not. I'm just a sign. I have no actual so authority. Um. And then a parasol footage. Apparently, the guy who threw the flare on the track was like an actual like official or something affiliated with the Zanvoort circuit. Like it was someone like from Zanvoort. Not just Love a fan. to see that. Love to fucking see. Which it. is so who fucking knows? But yeah, so Ferrari just going to completely fuck it up. Uh Matteo Bonotto 
will be kidnapped <laughs> and he will end up in the same place as wherever Martin Whitmarsh went and we will just never see him again until like a decade later. He'll he'll turn up um, running a fucking America's Cup team or something because I'm pretty sure that's Hell what yeah. Martin Whitmarsh did. Bring back Martin Whitmarsh. I'm on board. That's who Ferrari needs. Mar- you can do a Google because you'll have no idea who the fuck I'm talking about. But uh, Martin Whitmarsh needs to come in and save Ferrari. He's the only man for the job. Or just... Well, uh, someone... A couple of people said, oh, Adrian knew he to go to Ferrari and design that car. But it's the Ferrari car's not the issue. Oh, yeah. Christian Horner to go to Mercedes and manage the team. <laughs> maybe. But, um, Horner at the head of the yeah, no, Martin, Whitmar- Martin Whitmarsh to return with a steel chair at Monza this weekend. <laughs> Take out Bonotto and forcibly take control of the Ferrari team. Hell yeah. Um, that oh is uh, not just my prediction. That's the official prediction of Rear of the Hell Rear. yes. Uh, locking it in. I'm ending the show before Jashan has time to uh, dispute that. I've been Matt. He's been yeah. Jashan. You can find us on any good podcast player. Please, for the love of God, find us. Although, if you're listening to us, you already have. True. Uh, and on Instagram at Online Hub Media. True. Uh, yeah, and until next time, uh, Park Ji Sung, the other potential option for a Monza win, and we've been Rear of the Grid. Because. Gave Dale a point on his last race, so he'll be happy with that. It's a good job, mate. Not too late to change your mind, Dale. Farewell, Dale. Thank you. I've only shared a very short time with you, but um, I guess there's many reasons why they call you the brain of this team. So thank you. Thank you, Dale, and uh, you'll be missed.